stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm going solo to talk about an important concept as we start 2023, how to stay the course. Being a long-term investor is difficult. It might have seemed easy the prior years, but when we hit 2022, suddenly it was like a big uh, you know, roadblock there in even for long-term investors. So we recently had a couple billion dollar lottery tickets going on in the United States. There was the Powerball in 2022. I think that was November of 2022. And then we just had another one in the mega millions over a billion dollars. Both of them had a single ticket winner. We don't know if it was a family, a group of work colleagues. We don't know anything more than just one one of the big tickets, one for each of those. But there was a lot of people talking on Twitter about what they would do with the cash. Of course, that's the whole point of the lottery, right? It sells the dream of instant riches, and it's fun. It's fun to dream about what we would do with all that money. But I saw a lot of tweets Uh, mainly from stock investors talking about how they would take the cash prize and they would invest it in like dividend ETFs, of course. And that if they did that and they were talking about which ones they would do it in, they would make like $8 million a year in the dividends and they would just live off that and it would be easy, right? But maybe not. (laughs) Maybe that is easier said than done. Because did you know that in Uh, the lottery winners, six out of 10 actually lose all the money by about six years out. That's not good odds, right? And that's even of the larger amounts. I'm not saying these people who won the billion dollar ones would lose it all in six years, but never say never because there have been winners of, you know, 45, $50 million dollars who have lost all of that within six years. So it's hard to win and hard to keep it, even though it seems easy. You just put it in dividend stocks and let it run, right? But there was one Powerball winner who tried to buck this trend. He uh, had a plan to not be one of the ones that lost all the money within six years. So the year was 2005, it was May, the Powerball got to one of its largest in history at that time. And back then it was $220 million. So at that time it was the sixth largest lottery drawing in US history. Seems kind of small now, right? I think we get to 220 million like within a couple of weeks when no one's winning now the Powerball and the Mega Millions because they've made it more difficult to win it. So it gets bigger. Um, but at that time, 220 seemed like that could be the dream and we could do a lot with that. So his name was Brad Duke. He was 33 years old. He was a gym manager and he active bike rider in Idaho when he won. So very young and his goal was to buck that trend. So he took the lump sum, which then was 85 million. And his goal wasn't to do what these dividend investors wanted to do and create like the dividend, uh, you know, millions coming to him. 
he wanted to grow it to a billion dollars. He had been actively saving uh, to try to get to a million dollars. I'm presuming in like, you know, an investment fund of some kind. He didn't say whether or not that was like a retirement fund, but he was trying to get to a million on his own. And now he was going to get to a billion starting off with 85 million. Well, that should be kind of easy, right? That doesn't sound too hard. He at first said he wanted to get there by age 50. So he was 33. That's 17 years to get there. Um, so I I heard a story back in the day. I think he was on Oprah, I want to say, on Oprah Winfrey show. And that's where I first stumbled across him. And I have wondered what's gone on with him all these years. And thankfully, he's still with us. And he is still talking to the press. They still do interview him about what it's like to be one of these big winners, right? So when he got the 85 million, if you're going to get to a billion, well, you better have a plan, right? So he hired a group of advisors. In one interview, I think he said it was like 10 people. You know, it would include people like a, a tax attorney. He needed the financial advisors, maybe people to, you know, the, those are the people to manage the money. Um, he did start a family foundation. You have to hire some people to manage the foundation or uh, relatives or friends or whoever to manage it. Like there's a lot going on. So he did get a group of advisors and then I found an article that actually listed out specifically what he invested the money in. So um, some of the other articles just said he bought like real estate bonds. It just kind of listed like generalities. But now I have some real, real numbers to put with it. So this is from a Fortune magazine article with him in 2007. So two years after he won. So he put $45 million in municipal bonds. That's pretty conservative in 2007, you would have thought. Um, and that was the conservative part, the like kind of like the dividend part where it's not going to go crazy, but you're not going to lose it all. 35 million of it was his more aggressive side of the portfolio. And it said it was in oil and gas and real estate. We don't know if the real estate was like homes, apartments, land unclear and oil and gas was that stocks in oil and gas was it a well was it invested in a company oil and gas company we don't know but remember 2007 was when energy was surging it was in a bull market it hit new highs over 150 dollars for wti it was a good time to be oil and gas investors he lived in idaho oil and gas up there so this was not a weird investment at that time. Then he paid off $125,000. Uh, that was a mortgage on his house. It was 1,400 square foot house, he said. He paid that off. He uh, immediately took a trip to Tahiti with 17 friends. That cost $63,000. Good for him. He uh, bought a used black VW Jetta for $14,500. He repaid his student loans, $18,000. He was a bike rider, avid bike rider. So he did pay $65,000 for new bikes, including $12,000 for one that's called the BMC road bike. So he was buying those very nice exclusive bikes. So more of a bike guy than a car guy, clearly. Then he also did put $1.3 million into the family foundation. And that gives out 
um, you know, donations to various charities. Uh, in addition to the family members, he was giving at the time the maximum gift allowance, I think, which was like $12,000 each to make sure nieces and nephews and things had like college funds. So some money was going to that. Otherwise, the rest, he tried to stay on at Gold Gold Gym is where he worked as manager. He did for a couple of years. It got a little crazy there. Some people coming out of the woodwork, you know, asking for things while he's at work. So he ended up uh, quitting out of there. Um, but uh, most of the re- rest of the of his life did not change super dramatically. So he was attempting to grow this into a billion dollars. And again, this interview in Fortune magazine was from 2007. And he said at the time, because 2007, top of the stock market, oil at its new highs, a lot of things going real good in 2007, even in bonds. And so he thought he could get to a billion in 10 years at the time he started investing all this money. His team, the financial advisors and all that that he hired said, no, you're a little too optimistic. 15 years we could get to a billion dollars, starting with you know 85 million. Um, but in 2007, he conceded it wasn't gonna be 10, but that they were quote on track, unquote, for 12 years to get to a billion. Well, we know what happened in, in the meantime, right? We know 2008, 2009 happened, uh, the Great Recession, all asset classes basically crashed down, even municipal bonds, that was his conservative area, wasn't good. Uh, real estate, oil and gas crashed down, everything crashed down. He didn't lose it all, but the dream of getting to a billion dollars by, uh, you know, within just 12 years, that was over. So in 2016, I found an interview with him and the interviewer asked again, like, how close are you to the billion now? And so this was after the recovery off the Great Recession. So things better. But at that time, he said it was worth 100 million. So obviously, that's very far off from the billion dollar goal. And that was nine years after the prior interview, where he thought he would get to the billion in 12 years. So life intervened. Um, And then I did find another interview with him in 2022, just last year. So after the big Powerball (laughs) was happening, then Idaho reporters contacted him again because he will talk with them and talked again about what it was like to win his Powerball, what it did to his life. And they asked him again about being a billionaire. And this time he didn't actually give a response. He just laughed in that interview. It was a video interview. So um, he's not close to it. I think the billion dollar goal is now gone. 2022 was difficult again for everything, but not oil and gas. We don't know if he's still in those investments. Um, We don't know if he's in any of the same ones actually anymore. But even if you were in all stocks now and for since 2016 to 2022, that last year was just so difficult for all these asset classes that, you know, you're going to see a decline in a portfolio. So did he go broke in six years? No, but it's harder than you think to even double the money 
So by 2016, he said it was worth about 100 million. He hadn't even doubled it. So again, I think people underestimate what being a long-term investor is really like. That was just nine years. That's not that long. You have to think longer if you're a long-term investor. I know it's hard to think about it like that, and it, it kind of just stinks to think you have to really be in stocks or other investments for 20 or 30, 40 or 50 years to really have it pay off. Because uh, unless you get the timing really good, you know, you bought in 1990, you sold in 2000, that was during a great bull market period, you could get rich in that 10 year time period, even just investing in the S&P 500. But if you don't get that lucky, which most of us don't, then you have to be in it longer to wait out this kind of volatility. So, um, you know, you double your money with a 7% return in 10 years. And he didn't even get the doubling that we know of, but he has moved past the 10 year point now. Nobody's feeling sorry for him, however, <laughs> because he did invest it. He didn't lose it all within six years. But 2022 was a real setback for most of us long-term investors, both stocks and bonds down double, digit, double digits. This is why long-term investors, as I was just saying, need the long time. Uh, even 10 years isn't really enough. 20 years may not be either. So I took a look at my own work 401k this month because the new year just started. I rarely look at it. I've talked about that on the show in the past. It's my long-term portfolio. It's my retirement account. I know what's in it. And I, I think I know what it's doing based on what it's in. But every year I do take a look and make sure I'm on the right track and look and see where my investments are going. Do I still like the funds I'm in? Can I get into any funds that have lower expense ratios that will do the same thing? So I looked around because things do change in these retirement accounts and what's available in them. And diversity matters for long-term investors. After a bull market in large caps and technology, which we just had, it's easy to get overweighted in one hot area. You tend to want to go where the best returns are. And maybe a lot of us had some kind of tech fund and the S&P 500 and maybe a NASDAQ fund. Well, that means we own a lot of the big Fangman stocks because those are the stocks that dominate all of those funds and those indexes. So maybe you might be overweighted in that area now. So this account had been, uh, I've been in since the beginning of 2008 when I started here at Zacks. And it's an all equity portfolio, mostly in basic index funds like the S&P 500s, the mid caps, the small caps, you know, just the basics. And before 2022, that account had an average return since 2008 of 9%. And that included that includes the Great Recession, terrible years, um, some of the struggles of 2016, and but before the sell-off of 2022. But now, after the sell-off of 2022, the average return is down nearly three percent to just 6.1 percent, and that's after 14 years. So you can see the devastation from 2022. We're all feeling it. 
but how difficult it is to even get to the you know long-term average on the S&P 500, which is like 10 or 11%. That sounds not that great, but that's hard. We're not, I'm not even getting close to that. I'm at 6.1 now after 14 years. So that's not even doubling my money in a decade at 6.1. And so that again, tells you how difficult it is to even get a 10% average return, which doubles every seven years. That's also why Brad Duke had trouble even just doubling his own portfolio and why little things like dividends add up in a big way because the dividend can get you two or three percent. And so if you're getting the 6.1 and you're getting a dividend at three, well, suddenly you have the 9.1 and that's not too shabby, it turns out. So bull markets make it seem so easy. When Brad Duke first invested in 2005 and even when he gave that interview in 2007, you know, he wanted to do it in 10 years, a billion dollars from 85 million because that bull market in oil and just the stock market hitting new highs in 2007 made it seem so easy. And why wouldn't it continue? But then it didn't. (laughs) And now this bull market, Tesla, Nvidia, Microsoft, Amazon, we all know the names that seems so easy. But the bulls don't last forever. And you might not have bet on one of those big bullish horses. So what if you had bought Bank of America, ticker BAC, when Buffett did? I looked up the 13F holdings and they estimate he bought it. He did get those grants, right, um, during the or during and just right after the financial crisis. He had those grants but uh, or those warrants, but then he bought in in third quarter of 2017. And so I used the last day of September. Um, of 2017, because we don't know when in there he bought it. And I'm just looking at that again. Yeah, it does say third quarter 2017. I want to make sure it wasn't like 2011 or something and I got it wrong. So it was the uh, third quarter 2017. And Bank of America since then is up 35.95% and the S&P is up 58.7. So if you'd followed Warren Buffett in on that trade, and that is, um, you know, a decent amount of time. It's not super short term, right? It's not ten years, but you're in there going on six years now. You're up thirty five point nine five, and you're underperforming the S and P five hundred. But I looked at Microsoft during the same time period. Obviously, it's done better. It's a tech. Tech was in. Banks were out. Microsoft up two hundred and twenty one point five percent. That's why it seems so easy, right? If you just chose tech, it was easy. If you chose the banks, not so much. I looked at Chevron, ticker CVX. Uh, Buffett's other big bet in 2022, so he only just bought it. But if you had bought it in 2017, it's up 53.5% now. But that's only because last year was so good, but still. 53, so you are still beating Bank of America, but you're not quite beating the S&P 500 yet over that time period. And Chevron, what are the earnings looking like there? So 2021, they made 813, 2022, $19 is expected, uh, 1903. 
2023-1587. So falling back about 16%, but still almost double 2021. Uh, but we'll see if that holds. So Chevron still looking kind of good here for 2023, even though it's expected to decline. So little value trappiness, but um, still you know, way above 2021. Then I looked at Merck because that was a high flyer, up 36% in the last year. So what if you'd bought Merck on the last day of September 2017? You're up 81.3% now. But that's because last year it it too, like Chevron, had this big surge. So up until last year, it was lagging, you know, behind even the major indexes. So it's hard to get guess right in the short term. And I know that's where some of the traders come in, right? A lot of you feel like I can do better trading it on a short-term basis. And I've never been a trader and I admire all of them because some of them can do it really, really well. So right now, in the start of 2023, a lot of stocks have had rebounds and big gains. So someone tweeted at me uh, one that I'm not that aware of, but it's called Marathon Digital, ticker M-A-R-A. And they support blockchain, they mine cryptocurrencies. They were profitable in 2021. They made $1.70, but expected to lose $2.69 in 2022. But then the analysts seem being profitable again in 2023 uh, at 55 cents. So they're not totally doom and gloom. They are uh, making expected to make some money. Revenue expected to jump 294% in 2023 to 508 million. So pretty big jump in the revenue too. Does have a PE now because we're looking at 2023 now and it's at 14 times. But Marathon Digital off big over the last year, down 71%. So if you're a long-term investor in Marathon Digital, you've just really gotten pummeled. But over the last month, as everybody's piling back into some of these more uh, speculative plays, the crypto plays, uh, some of the tech names, uh, the memester stocks, Marathon is up 112% in the last month. So if you're a short-term type of trader on it, then you're doing really well. You're doing better than the longer term. But I only bring that up because a lot of people you know, think they need to switch to the short term when it's a bear market like we've been seeing, when the returns just aren't there, when you're getting 6.1% return like I have been getting over 14 years, then you think I need to do this. But you really just need to stay patient, stay the course. Long-term investing is more than 10 years or even 14 in terms of where you're headed and what your goals are. Now, remember Ann Scheiber. I've talked about her several times on the podcast. She's considered to be one of the greatest uh, long-term investors of all time, ranks up there. Her annual gains, I think it was, wasn't it over 20%? I want to say it was either 20 or like 18 something. It was up there. And that you know, you're like, oh, that's not that hard. But now we realize that really is that hard. And she stayed invested for 50 years. Remember, she turned $5,000 into over $20 million. I think it was like 22 million when she died. And then she donated it all um, to university for scholarships for medical students. But Anne 
was in the market 100% in the 1970s. And the 1970s had brutal years. It had the super bear market of 73, 74. She saw her portfolio decline 50%, according to her stockbroker. It did go down 50%, but she stayed the course. And she was reinvesting some of those dividends. And she just was a stock buyer and believer and stayed. It did rebound in the next bull, which began in 1982. And she didn't panic. And that's when she saw the most of her appreciation in her portfolio was over those later years. So some lessons from Anne and other long-term investors, even including myself, be diverse. Don't have all your eggs in one basket. Uh, Also, you might not want to look at it every day, every week, or even every month, especially if that freaks you out. Uh, It's been, you know, pretty vicious in 2022, but we have seen a rebound, a nice rebound. If you want to feel better about it, you might want to look on the rebounds. Um, But otherwise, I I feel like for long-term investors, there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm just going to kind of leave it there. And then I do check in every once in a while, but I don't look at it every day. So stay the course again, be diverse because Microsoft was one of the big winners of the last couple of years. It may not be of the next couple of years. And Bank of America was one of the big losers of the last even decade. And it may not be over the next decade. So um, again, be a uh, you know be a patient investor because the patience ultimately pays off, even if we do have these painful periods like we have seen in 2022. So let me recap some of the stocks I talked about. There was Bank of America, ticker BAC. I own it in my value investor portfolio right now. Um, Microsoft, ticker MSFT. I own that. I owned it during the bust years, and then I sold it, and then I bought it again. Um, in the later years before the pandemic. Um, So I'm still just holding that one, Microsoft MSFT. There's Chevron, one of the big energies. I've never owned Chevron. I was an Exxon girl. Some of you may have heard my podcast on Exxon because my dad owned mobile. My grandmother owned Exxon. Her father owned the Exxon. So the Exxon kind of just goes through our family. And you don't even really... We never even had anyone work for Exxon. (laughs) That's also the weird thing. But um, my great aunt still owns Exxon. I'm going to do an episode about her and what's happening with the Exxon coming up soon. But Chevron, ticker CVX, uh, Merck, one of the big winners of last year. It's breaking out. Can it keep this momentum? They've been, the big pharma was out of favor for the last 10 years, but not last year, Merck, MRK, and then Marathon Digital, the cryptocurrency miner blockchain company that's surging over the last month, but down big over the last year. The ticker is M-A-R-A. M is in Mary, A, R is in Robert, A. I'm a little scared to give you all that ticker because the chart is kind of crazy, but um, it's still always good to track these smaller cap companies see what's going on with them um, and how they are rebounding or not here in 2023. 
So as always, you want to be certain to subscribe because I will be having a lot of interesting guests on from Zach's here over the course of the year. So you don't want to miss a single episode. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on um, Amazon Music. We're on SoundCloud, of course. It's everywhere. Just get us somewhere. And I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.